So you just knock that volume down a touch. You can stay on a bit, that's okay. What you're watching is how one metronome needs 31 others. It relies upon 31 other metronomes. This is actually, this will work no matter what you do. It's a little known phenomenon that you're actually viewing at the moment. It's been known about for thousands and thousands of years, but not really completely ever understood. But you could do this at home if you can get all the 32 metronomes. You can do it with three actually, and it will work every single time. I love to talk about thriving in life. That's, if I was going to preach on anything, it would be about thriving in life. However, today is about surviving because you can't thrive unless you can survive. So the message today is all about four essential ways, things, if you like, that you need straight from the Word of God to be able to survive this life. They are essential requirements for surviving. You know, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, there was chaos, a little bit like this. But then God started to bring about order. He set the day and the night in sync. He set the tides and the seas into perfect synchronization. He brought the seasons in place. He brought the universe into order. Not that the initial chaos was evil because God created the initial chaos, but out of chaos, God creates order. Just like this here. But there was one dissenting voice, one dissenting voice in the beginning, Satan, the enemy of God, pure evil. And all he wanted to do was go against God's natural order of things and do his own thing. But then Jesus came. Amen? Amen? Come on. Jesus came. He came after God had created the heavens and the earth and put everything in place, everything in perfect harmony. After Satan came and tried to destroy it and wreck it and bring it out of harmony, Jesus came to redeem, to bring back the order that God had designed and instituted from the very beginning. Do you know what I love about the, the Genesis story? They're all in sync now, aren't they? Can you see that? Isn't that absolutely incredible? You can do this with any number of metronomes. In fact, you can do this with any number of things. It's a universal phenomenon that you will see all over the place. You see it in congregations. You see it in audiences. In fact, you, you see it. I've noticed it on television programs where people are walking. I pointed it out to Vicky a few weeks ago. Two people walking and you could hear the footsteps out of sync. They didn't even realize what they were doing. By the end of the, of the 30 second kind of walk, suddenly they're in sync, in perfect harmony. This is a God-ordained thing. This is something that God has placed into the universe everywhere because he's a God of harmony. 
and he's a God of unity and he desires order. He's a God of order. He knows exactly what he's doing. And I love the story of, of, of the beginning because at the end of all the things that God placed in order, separating the day and the night into synchronization and the tides and the seasons and all of those things, the fish and that fill in the world with animals, all of creation filled. At the very end of it, he creates Adam, man. And God says of man that he's the pinnacle, and it's man as in mankind, the pinnacle of his creation, the apple of his eye, he calls us. But what did he say right at the beginning? What was virtually the first thing he said about Adam? He said, it's not good that he is alone. And so he created a partner. And I think it's incredible and I'm not on about from a, 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 a what you might think with a relationship kind of thing, but I think it's incredible that when God looked and said, Adam needs a partner, and so I'm going to give Adam the perfect partner. If you think about it, as a guy, you might think, oh, give him a mate. Put a, a you know, a, a, a John, or a, I've got boys who are called Adam and Joshua, as many of you know. Let's put a Joshua at the side of him. He'll, he'll have a mate to knock around with and to go and fight and do all them kind of things that young lads do and whatever. But no, what did God do? Who did he create for Adam? Who was the perfect partner for man? It was woman. Ladies, you are the perfect partner for man. Not created out of his head, so that you can lord it over us, not created out of our feet so that we can lord it over you, but you are the perfect, perfect partner for man. God's very first ordained order. How incredible is that? Do you not think that's incredible? I think that deserves a round of applause. Come on, ladies. Do you know there's such misogyny going on in the world at the moment? This is not the preach, by the way, but I, I stand against it. I think it is awful. I think it is horrendous. The attack on women in our society, it's just as much on men, to be fair, but it's in a different way. It's in a different way. But listen, let's bring unity between the sexes. God created male and female. Adam and Eve were first created. And then in the New Testament, what does he say? He says this, there is now neither male nor female in Christ Jesus. We are one created together to do good works for God. Whew. Anyway, <laughs> so I want to talk about four things. I'm going to have to look at my notes. I don't like to look at my notes when I preach. So you're going to have to bear with me. I'm going to have to look at my notes uh, this morning. Right, okay, a couple of things. Not just the metronomes that we looked at a minute ago. You can do it. You can observe it with fireflies. So they've done this. A group of scientists about 100 years ago went off to observe some fireflies. They got criticized heavily for it. But here's what they've discovered about fireflies, right? You get a group of 1,000 fireflies, right? And, and you know what fireflies do? They, they flash, don't they? They light up and they flash. And they'll start flashing. You'll see all these flashing lights all over the place. But do you know what happens? Just like with the net metronomes, after a while, they all flash in sync. And there's no leader, the fireflies don't need a leader to flash in sync. You would think, wouldn't you, that they need a leader, that there needs to be someone to organize it, to beat the drum, to get that synchronization in place. No, there's no leader needed. There's no leader needed for the metronomes, for the fireflies, none of these things, because it's in 
creation. God's placed unity in there. The whole of creation is crying out for these things to be redeemed that were stolen in the beginning by the enemy. When he got in there, that dissenting voice to come against God's natural order of things. But God's order is, is there and it's set and creation knows what God's order is and creation is desperate to get back to the things that God planted there right at the very beginning, back to that seed because it knows what it needs. Zebras, can we get a picture up of some zebras, Tracy? How fast was that? Did you like that? You know the stripes on zebras? Can you see? They're not for camouflage. Like, they're not very well camouflaged, are they? Right? Zebras are prey. Lions, tigers, they will all go after zebras to attack them and eat them and take them and all of that kind of stuff, right? Scientists wanted to try and figure out what was going on. So what they did was they took a zebra. They've done this on loads of occasions. They stopped doing it now. They took a zebra and they wanted to monitor the zebra and try and figure out, what, you know, the camouflage doesn't work on a zebra. How on earth does this keep them safe, right? So they, they put, like, you know, things on the rear so they could track them and things on the hooves and stuff like that. And they tried all of those things. Anyone know what happened when they did that? Every single time they tagged a zebra... It got eaten. No, no, seriously. Every time they tag a zebra, it gets eaten. So the scientists were like, what's going on? And then they realized the stripes aren't to camouflage the zebras against the background. The stripes are so that the zebras are all one in unity as a pack. Because when the lion comes along and wants to attack a zebra... The problem it has is a lion or any, any, any kind of a predator, any, any predator needs to be able to focus on one single target and pick that out. But with a zebra, because they all look so similar, because they all blend into each other, not to the background, the lion can't get the zebra unless it can get it isolated on its own. But if the zebras are part of the pack, it can't get it. But as soon as they put a tag on the zebra, suddenly the lion's got something it can focus on. And guess what happens? Every time the zebra gets picked out. There is a unity. There is a safety. There is a, 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 a security that God has placed in community. And us being together. When, you know, the, you've all heard the cliches, we're never any stronger than when we are one and all of this kind of stuff. The cliches, because they are true. They're repeated and they're said so often because they are true. Now, when I first heard this story about the zebras, I knew there was something in that. And, but my, my kind of reluctance to ever use that was, okay, the, the problem you've got with that is it almost, you could take that as saying, don't stand out from the crowd. You know, you could, couldn't you? You could take that and you could think, oh, hold on. You know, if I stand out from the crowd, I suddenly become a target. But that's not what it is. It's about being part of a community. You, you, if you stand out from the crowd, right, you will be a target. 
I mean, we know that. <laughs> we've kind of put our head above the parapet and, and we've been a, become a target. And that's what happens if you stand out in any way, in any area of life. If in work you stand out as being the person that works that little bit harder against anyone else, we all know what happens there, don't we? We all know what happens in the workplace. And it goes the same in any, in any organization, in any situation. But that's not the point here of don't stand out. The point is be a part of a community. We all need to belong. We all need to be a part of something bigger because it is God's natural order of things. Man was not created to be alone. Or you ladies, by the way, man as in mankind. It's something that is embedded in creation. It's something that God has put right in there. You could say it's in our DNA. You could say it's in the DNA of the world, of the universe. It's in there. It's there. You can't go against it. So I want to talk about four ways that we can build our community here and make it stronger. Make it stronger so people don't get picked off. So Christians in our group don't suddenly get get fall by the wayside. and, and, And yeah, you know. And it says this, Jesus said, this is my commandment, love each other, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Well, I want to give you four ways that we can love each other as a church, as a community that will ensure that people don't get picked off. And we can't account for people just taking themselves away and, and removing themselves from the herd, if you like. That's always going to happen on the odd occasion, and we just have to pray and hope that that doesn't happen. But while we're here, we need to be binded and in unity as one, because we have an enemy who's out to destroy us. We have an enemy who's out to pick us off. In fact, the word describes him as a roaring lion says that's what he's like. He's like a lion. And you could argue we're like the zebras. But when we stay united as one, when we're in unity, when he can't distinguish me from Jeff, from anyone else in this room, because we're all so united in Christ, we're all so one in Christ, he can't pick us off. He can only actually pick us off when he can pick one out and go, you're different. There's something about you that's different. Not in a, not in, I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying don't kind of stand out as in wanting to be better for God. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm on about those basic things of Christianity. I want to highlight four areas that I think we need to be the same. We need to be in unity in. Amen. The background to the, to the first point the first point, the background is, is, it's about Peter, the first point. It's only a, a verse. I want to share a couple of verses maybe. And the, but the situation that what I want to highlight from Peter is, this is just before Jesus is betrayed. And so Jesus takes his disciples to, to the garden, to the Garden of Gethsemane. So you get the idea from the story that it's, you know, it's like, a bit like Kew Gardens or something in Israel, you know, and, and they all go off there and they're there at night and, you know, and, and, and Jesus says, you know, I want you to come. And he's told his disciples at this point, he's told them what's to come. They know that he's going to be crucified. 
They know he's going to die. They don't really understand it. They can't quite get their head around it. They're kind of thinking, oh, you know, he doesn't really mean it. It's one of his parables. It's not quite, you know, it's just a story. It's not actually going to happen. All of these thoughts must be going through their heads, right? But Jesus takes all of his disciples and they all go to the garden. He says, I want you to come with me because I want you to pray with me. I'm going to pray what is about to happen. It's the pinnacle of, of, of my whole mission. The whole reason that I've come is coming to a crescendo right now. It's the night before and I want you to come with me so we can pray. Amen. So they all go and then Jesus picks off three of them. He says, Peter, James and John, I want you three to come with me and go even deeper into the garden and you're going to pray even deeper with me. So he picks Peter out as one of the three. And you, uh, many of you will know what happens. Anyone remember what happens? They go off to pray. He's only gone an hour. Jesus is only in prayer for an hour, and one of the disciples, and you just can't get, I mean, it's just, it's ludicrous, isn't it? They've flipping fallen asleep. Literally, I mean, you'd want to slap them around the face, wouldn't you? Like, what, what on earth are you doing? You know, you've fallen asleep. There better not be anyone asleep in here this morning. The worst thing about someone asleep in your preach is when they start snoring. That's the really bad bit. Not for me, for them, because then I'm going to pick them out and kind of, you know, highlight them. But anyway, so anyway, 1 Peter 4, verse 8, it says this. This, isn't, this is kind of about the story. This is the book of Peter, 1 Peter. So this is Peter writing his epistle. This is a letter he's written to, a, to the Christian community, and he, he's explaining some, some really important points to them. And you get the impression that, what went on with Peter is in his mind. Because he didn't just fail then by falling asleep. He then went and cut off a soldier's ear. Remember that one? Anyone who's read all, all these stories? Cuts off the soldier's ears. He's like, no, no one's going to take you, Lord. I'll defend you. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? We're, we're people of peace. We don't do that. And it, Jesus has to heal the guy's ear. And then he's like, he's giving it all this bravado. Jesus, oh, don't you worry. I'll never betray you, Lord. Never, Lord, not me. The rest, yeah, all them numpties, absolutely, they'll betray you. Me? Nah, you can rely on me, Lord. And Jesus is like, nah. Peter, listen, before morning, you're going to betray me. Before morning is out, you're going to betray me. And he does the next day. And then, so Peter's got this whole history of failure. I mean, he, he drowned nearly, didn't he? Because he got out the boat and he's all giving it all like, yeah, I'll come and walk on water, Lord. Just say the word. Starts walking next thing. What does he do? Takes his eyes off Jesus. He, the guy's sinking. I mean, he's, he's, yeah. Most important of all, 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Verse eight. This is Peter talking. Most important of all, continue to show deep love. Deep love. That deep love in the Greek, that word meant intense, unceasing, unfailing. This was a, a, a above and beyond, not measured, a full strength love, one translation translates it as. One translation, trans, I could have put that better, couldn't I? But anyway, you know what I mean. Continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. I heard an amazing story. It's not amazing, actually. It's a, it's a heartbreaking story. I, I went to Ethiopia a few years ago for a mission. 
And a guy um, called Scott Harrison, he runs a, a massive charity over in Ethiopia. And, you know, you're looking at tens of millions of dollars of, of water aid that's going into Ethiopia that he's supplying through his charity that he's raising money for. And he was over in Ethiopia, not when I was there. And he, he, he tells the story that Scott's at this, he's in a hotel, and the hotel manager just walks in, they're kind of on a, you know, a bit of a mission, and they're raising money and stuff like that. And the hotel manager just suddenly walks in at the end of the meal, and he, he walks over to Scott and he says, he tells him a story. He says, Scott, I just want to share a story. There was a, 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 a lady and she was carrying water. And out in, in, a, in a small village, in fact, the, the hotel owner, it was his village. And he said, this lady was carrying water in my village. And they have to travel for eight hours a day to go and, re, to go and get water. Can we get the picture up? We've got it up here, haven't we? Big heavy clay pots they'll carry with them, and they're walking for eight hours a day. Now, actually, Ethiopia is not as hot as most other African countries because it's very high up. So it's actually in the mid-20s. So you're not, it's not as hot as you get in some African countries, but it's still hot. And I, I can't imagine myself walking eight hours for water with a, a heavy clay pot full of water. And Scott tells this story and he said, this, this lady was on her way back and just before she got to the village, she dropped, the, she slipped and the clay pot fell and smashed. And she hung herself. So Scott, I'm sorry for the, for the, the shock of the story, I, I genuinely am, but as if you've ever been to a situation like that or heard stories like that, sometimes you can think, is this true? Is what I'm hearing true? Even having been in Ethiopia and seen some of the things that I saw there, I mean, there was one point where there was a, a huge rubbish dump and, and, you know, you can imagine the tip over there in Warrington doesn't compare to this. This was massive. And on it, you could see it looked like there were ants all over the top of the rubbish dump. It was huge. And as we, we were driving past it, and as we got closer and closer and closer, you could see it wasn't ants, it was people. Families living on a rubbish dump. You, you've never seen anything like it. it, some of you anyway, some, some may have. And so Scott, is, he's unsure about this story, so it, he can't get it out of his head. He wants to know if it's true, so he ends up going to the village. It's a small village, 3,000 people, and he actually ends up going to the village so he, he, he gets in touch with someone else he knows and, and asks them, and they say, yep, yeah, the, the, the story's true. And he still can't get it out of his head, and he, he goes there. He goes to the village. And when he arrives, he sees the, the grave, or just a pile of stones that they've placed um, for, for, for this person. And the most shocking thing about the story, the real crucial bit about the story is this, that she was 13, she wasn't an old lady. She was 13. 13 years old. And the point that I'm making from the story goes back to the verse. Listen to what Peter says. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude 
of sins. You see, there's a paradox in that because I know how we can all feel that, yeah, but when someone's done wrong, that should be brought out. And we all know, we've all heard of cover-ups, haven't we? You know, where things have been covered up and, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. And we think that's terrible. That should have been dealt with. It should have been brought out into the open and all of these kind of things. And I'm not on about covering up things that have gone wrong that need dealing with here. I'm on about what Peter said, that love covers a multitude of sins. You see, we're the church of Jesus Christ. So if the world and its devices need to, you know, the police need to do investigations, whatever they need to do, or whatever needs to happen in a workplace or whatever, if things need to be dealt with, they need to be dealt with. It's just one of those things. That is what it is. But as the church of Jesus Christ, our place is to love Because people are dying of shame. That 13-year-old girl, she died. She could have gone back for that water. Do you know why she, she hung herself? Because of the shame of breaking the pot and having to go back to the village to say that she'd broken the pot. The shame of, in her eyes, I don't think anyone in here would think that she'd done wrong, but the shame of, in her eyes, that she'd done wrong, that she'd missed the mark, that she'd failed. And Peter's saying, no, we've got to keep showing love because people are dying of shame. And love covers, it covers a multitude of sins. First point, I don't care what anyone's done. I don't care background, I don't care history, you name it. I don't care. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in any of those things we love. If someone can't find love in a church, what hope is there? Literally, where do you go if you can't find love and forgiveness and acceptance? I think acceptance for me is the, the key word. If you can't find acceptance in the church, where else do you go? And the next point that I want to talk about really follows on from it. And if you're worried about that first point of, you know, love covering a multitude of sins and all of that kind of stuff and, you know, uh, you know people should be, if they've done wrong, they should be punished and all that. Here's the thing, right? God. See, if I was a judge, then that would be different. I'd have a position to, to maybe cast judgments in, in the world's place. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't have an issue with that. I, I, I support the police and, and all of that stuff. And, you know, in, in, in workplaces, there needs to be order and, and all of that kind of stuff. No issue with any of that stuff. But here's the thing, right? We all judge from a worldly point of view. None of us have the full facts. But God does. He's the only one in possession of all the facts. So when he judges, and he will judge, but he'll judge fairly. And he'll judge in possession of the full facts. And he always gives the option for grace. His mercy is never ending. So if you're, if you're sat there and you're thinking, God's going to judge me, the other things I've done, what on earth am I going to do? Uh, let me tell you this right now, right here, right now. Listen, doesn't matter what you've done. I don't care what sins you've committed. I don't care what wrongs you have done. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. You are not alone in that position, in that place. And God's mercy extends to you today. His mercy begins afresh every single day, the word says. So you come to him 
Come to him right now in the middle of my preach. You can do that. Just don't snore. Just ask him for forgiveness. Second point, Galatians 6 verse 2 says this. Share each other's burdens. Follows on so lovely from that tragic story. Share each other's burdens. And in this, we obey the law of Christ. You know, about 23 and a half years ago, I rocked up at this church and I was carrying a few things. You couldn't kind of see them, but I was carrying quite a a few things, quite a few issues, quite a few problems. Shut up, Jeff. (laughs) Thanks, mate. You you could get up here and share this, mate, couldn't you, mate? Yeah, carrying burdens. It is the thing, right? I didn't even know the full extent of the burdens I was carrying, really. You don't, you don't know, do you? you know, it's only sometimes when they come back on you and some of the things that you've done and you start to realize and it, it really all comes together. But the thing is that people in this church carried my burdens with me together. People in this church carried my burdens with me, for me. Doing things that I couldn't do. And, and that, carrying each other's burdens. Have you ever been in that position? Do you, do you know the power of having someone alongside you? Think about that, that time when you've been struggling with something, when it's been difficult and someone's just come along and helped you. They've just given you a hand, they've supported you, whatever. This is the church of Jesus Christ. This is the second thing we need to be able to do. If the first one is acceptance, anyone can come in through the doors. Anyone can come here. We, we, we love and unconditionally and all that. Unless they're causing trouble and trying to disrupt and whatever. Well, you know, there are, there are even in the church of God, there are rules. Sorry to say this. You might not like to hear that, but there are. I don't think that means you can just come here and do what you want and that'll all be fine because I'm sorry We've asked other people to leave and we'll ask you to leave. No, not pointing at anyone there, by the way. But, you know, as long as people are, uh, just want to come and just want to meet with God, just want to be part of the church community, the local church that God has put. This is why the local church is so important. I don't care how big any church in the universe gets, the universe of this planet, by the way. But I don't care how big any church gets, it can never replace the local church. No matter how big we get, we can't replace the local church. No matter how big. Because the local church is, we know each other. We know each other's faces. We're like the fireflies. And what happens is when one starts flashing and then another flashes and another flashes, eventually what happens is we all nudge each other and eventually we all end up in sync. And we all end up in community. And then we all know we belong to something. And this is, this is my church. And it's like, this is my church. I go to Hope Church. This is my church. This is where I belong. These people are my congregation. They belong to me. And I'm not saying that as the pastor. I'm saying that as like, we all say that. You with me? We share each other's burdens. And in this, in this, In this, Paul said in Galatians, we obey the law 
of Christ. When he was asked Jesus about, Lord, you know, which is the most important law and all of this, and, and what about all the laws? And he said this, listen, all of the laws hang on this. Love God with all your heart and love each other just as much. Love each other just as much. Love each other just as much. That's why Paul could say, in this we obey the law of Christ. In this, we don't just obey the law of Christ, we obey every law. Every law, because every law was written for love. Third one. James 5 verse 16 says this, confess your sins to each other. Whew. There's a tense one, isn't it? There's a, there's a, whoa, hold on, where do we go with that? Because we're not Catholic, are we? We don't have a little confessional box. Have anyone seen that box we have in the cafe? That's not a confessional box. Don't go in there thinking I'm going to rock up and slide a little door thing and then tell you to say 10. Does anyone know what a Hail Mary is, by the way? I literally, I haven't got a clue what, a, I'm a pastor of a church, I don't know what a Hail Mary is, I don't really want to know to be quite frank, because there's no amount of Hail Marys I could tell you to say that will ever sort out any problem, any sin or anything you've ever done. Hail Marys don't have the power to do that. However, James said that when we confess our sins to each other, so not just like rock up to the past, like, listen, you can come to me and confess your sins to me. I'm cool with that. That's fine. I'm not going to say you have to. I've not got this list of, you know what? Jeff ain't come in the last few weeks to confess any sins to me. He's, he's lapsing a little bit here. Jeff, you know, he rocks up on next Sunday and it's like, Jeff, it's been three weeks since you last came to me and confessed your sins. Although the last mate, the last one, mate, was so long. Can we, can we keep it a bit shorter in between, mate? You know what I mean? <laughs> Had to get you back. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. This is not just about physical healing, though it is. This is about every kind of healing. Every kind of healing, emotional healing, physical healing, all of these things, all of these things, talk to each other. Someone you trust, someone who you, who you respect, someone who you know has got something about them. If you're not sure, ask someone who leads something. You know, just talk to people. Ask them, who can I talk to? I need to talk to someone. I need to offload this. I need to have a chat. I need to, to, to talk about this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer, earnest. That's an old word, isn't it? The earnest prayer. I mean, serious. That's like, I'm praying, I'm serious now. We're not like, having a laugh. I'm, I'm praying seriously now. I mean this. This is a serious prayer. You know, it's, it's got power and weight behind it. Lord, I'm calling out to you. I'm praying for this person. The earnest prayer like that of a righteous person has great power. Not just power, but great power and produces wonderful results. It is powerful and effective. Our prayers, our prayers, if you've named the name of Christ, then you are a righteous person. If you've named the name of Christ, 
You don't, do you, are you judging yourself right now and thinking, I'm not sure I'm a righteous person? You know what I mean? I'm probably a three out of ten or a four or, you know, a two. You know, it's that, that kind of thing. <laughs> I, I didn't, I was just general, you know. <laughs> no, we don't judge ourselves. You're not qualified to judge yourself. Even you aren't in possession of all the facts to be able to judge yourself even. Only God is. But his measure is this. If you've named the name of Jesus Christ, then all your sins are forgiven. You are a Christian. If you, can, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then you are a Christian. And then so then you are righteous, not because you're a good person, but hopefully you're getting gooder. Gooder. I know, but gooder kind of fitted better with the bit before it, didn't it? There was a bit of a flow with gooder, so I'm going to go with gooder. But it is the confession of Jesus. The only thing, and thank God it's the only thing, that can make you righteous. And it does make you righteous. That means any point you can just go back to that promise. You can remind yourself that my confession of Christ and my continued confession of Christ is making me righteous. It's making me better and better day after day. Do you like that one better? I went for the better there. Anyway, we don't have a confessional box. And I can't give you any amount of Hail Marys to make amends for what you've done. I just can't do that. But anyway, the, the, are we on point four? Yeah, yeah, we are. We're on the last one. I didn't number that one. Okay, so the last point, and I should have said at the beginning of saving the best to last. I forgot to say it, but I'm saving the best to last. This is the, the, the best one, right? But it's, it's a tricky one because there's, there's, there's a tension in this one. So... Ask yourself about this one, right? There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Yeah? What it says in the Word, there's no greater love, Jesus said, than to lay down your life for your friends. There's no greater love. So who's doing that? How many of us think we're actually doing that? Laying down our life for our friends. Who are you doing it for? Who are you laying down your life for? Are you just doing it for your kind of close, close friends, your, your family, those people that are right around you? Is your circle a little bit bigger? There's, there's your, you know, your family, your wife and your kids or whatever your family situation is, if you've got one. And then there's a couple of mates and them. And yeah, that's it. There you go. I've, I've, I've ticked that box because I lay down my life for them. How do you lay down your life? How, how are you doing that? How does that look? What does that look like? What did Jesus mean when he said to, that there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends? What, does, what did he mean by that? And who are the friends that he's on about? Is it just the people around you? I'm only just going to hazard my 
thoughts on what I would say about this verse. My thoughts on this would be what comes to mind when I, I think about those questions on this verse. The Good Samaritan. I don't think you can get away from the Good Samaritan because I, think, I don't think it's that we should always just be going out there and looking for you know, everyone out there. Who's, I, I actually think that the friends is, is the church. I think it's, it's the church. The Bible says, says in the New Testament, first of all to the household of God. So I think it's to the church first. But I think I would say about the Good Samaritan first because you run the risk of just, us just being dead insular and we only think about each other and then we just exclude everyone else. And that's not right, is it? So there has to be, we've got to find a way of doing both. And if you're looking for me for those answers, I can't do that on my own. And I don't mean I can't do it on my own as in I've got to ask you to help me. I mean I can't answer the question on my own because it takes a church to answer that question. It takes all of our input to answer that question. It takes all of our energy and resources to answer that question. How and who and what and when. But the big one for me is that what is laying down your life? Because if one obvious answer is that we go, okay, well, Jesus, this was said like just before Jesus laid down his life and he was crucified. He was martyred. He was the ultimate martyr, the only ever martyr that was ever needed for us. But he was crucified. So does that mean we've all, because if that's the measure, then we've all failed because we're all still here, aren't we? There's no one dead in the room, is there? I know I've been preaching for a while, but there's no one dead. No, okay. So, so what does it mean? What is laying down your life for your friends? I don't know. I can only tell you what, what if you're looking for answers, I can only say, what I think that looks like, what that's looked like for me, for me that's looked like, you know, I, I, I've, there's been points in my life, many points in my life where I've, I've, I've personally sacrificed in terms of career and all of these things and, I, and I've gone, okay, God, no, you first, you, you must be number one. And then I've, I've done that for the church community and I've done it for my family and, and, you know, and we've all had the times, haven't we, when we've gone out of our way for someone else and you, know, you get a phone call and it's late at night and you're like, oh, man, and then you've got to go out and you've got to help someone and all of that. And you don't really want to. And that sounds terrible, doesn't it? But we're all human. You know, we all have times, don't we, when we don't want to do something. If we always wanted to do it, there'd be no sacrifice, would there? So it wouldn't really be a big deal, would it? I don't know. I don't know the answer to this. All I do know is that we've got to find a way together as a community of doing this, doing this as individuals. So that goes back to the other three points of we're not condemning anyone because they didn't help us out that time and, you know, and, and all of that stuff. We're actually carrying each other's burdens and we're helping each other to help others. We're supporting each other. We're encouraging each other. And then hopefully... At the end, God says, well done, good and faithful servant. 
I'm really sorry if that sounds like a cop-out and not a very good, powerful ending to the preach of, yeah, and this is how you do it, and you've got to do this, and if you do that, you've laid down your life, job done. I don't think any preacher can answer that. And if you think you can, please, I'm not going to say jump up, tell me, and if if you've got a good answer, I'll let you get up, I promise you. If you've got a good answer, right, come and tell me when I get down in a moment, and you can get up and share it. Because I, I, I haven't got any better than this. It's all I've got. Amen.